The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, we, as you know, live in a culture of spectacular options, and I am raising children in this culture. So let me invite you into a scene that repeats itself pretty much every day in my household. Uh, as many of you know, I have two sons, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and the five-year-old will inevitably uh, come downstairs, and the first thing that he wants to do is to watch a show. Now, through the miracle, really, of cable TV, uh, and this is different than, than when I grew up, he knows that he's not really necessarily a slave to the TV schedule. It doesn't matter really what time it is. He knows, oh, you know, hey, there's DVR, there's an on-demand. If I want to watch Peg Puss Cat or Cat in the Hat or Dinosaur Train or he's... And then recently, he's really gotten into Sports Center. Okay, he's five. <laughs> okay, and then, and then the past couple weeks... Uh, he, he actually would come down the stairs and he'd say, I, I think the Olympics are on the Canadian channel. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, sure enough, they were. So first there was the option of what show Carson wanted to watch. Well, then we'd move to the breakfast table. And Carson, as he comes to breakfast, asks, well, what are the choices? And I'll say, waffles or cereal. And, and, you know, I mean, there's probably even more options than that, but I usually just try to limit it to two. I read some parenting book that you, you actually throw a bone to your kids by not giving them more than two options. So he's like, you know, what, what are the choices for breakfast? And I'm like, well, you've got um, waffles or cereal. He says cereal. And I said, okay, hot or cold? And he's like, hmm, cold. And I'm like, all right, um, cold. How about, well, then it's, it's a choice between raisin bran or life. Okay, those are, that's kind of the flavor of the month right now. Sometimes we'll rotate those, but Raisin Bran or Life, there might even be more options than that, but I, again, I limit it to two. Raisin Bran or Life, and he'll choose from there, mm, Raisin Bran. And then Colin, the two-year-old, he's actually a lot easier because uh, Carson may be a man of many ideas and many options, okay? Colin is a man of his brother's ideas. So <laughs> he just, he just kind of goes with whatever, with whatever Carson is into, all that to say, as I'm beginning to observe in my sons, from the get-go, in the culture that we live in, we are confronted with lots and lots of options and, of course, the decisions that need to come out of those options. Now, many of you here experience the, the, the challenge of having these, these options, you have options about what you might want to do this spring break or over uh, summer break. You have options on what you might want to study and major in. Maybe you have several different job offers that you're deciding, uh, trying to decide from uh, among. And of course, there's probably many of you sitting here going, oh man, I'm looking around and there's a lot of options for me to date, okay? <laughs> I know that was me in college. Come on, let's be honest. Now, Given all these options, there is, of course, a tremendous amount of pressure then to do that which is best, to somehow pick the right one. Like we talked about last week, there's this competition to do the best thing. And as a result, 
The problem is we're often never really committed to the decision that we've made or to the relationship that we are in. Now, here's the deal with what we're going to do tonight. I believe that living in this culture of options has a major impact on our lives, and no doubt it has a major impact on our lives as those who are seeking to follow Jesus. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you may recall that we uh, we started a new series where we're looking at what does it look like to grow up, to to uh, to be a little bit more mature as we grow up as those seeking to follow after Jesus, those seeking to become disciples. Now, disciples, as we talked about, are ones seeking to learn from Jesus' life and teachings and simply put them into play in everyday life. And we talked about this journey being a journey of growing up into the radical love of Jesus, That growing up as a disciple means that we're essentially that we're learning how to love better. We're learning how to love more, not for the purposes necessarily of ourselves, though there's something edifying there, but who really benefits in this are others, that this is the way that we share the love of Jesus with others. Now, there's no doubt that living in a culture of, the, of options like we do can be a great blessing. I think it's one of the things that allows us to grow into the unique creations individually that we are. There is a great blessing to this, but these options can also have a potentially toxic effect on us as well, as we can put so much energy into keeping our options open. Can you recall when you've used that phrase? Oh, I just want to keep my options open. I think that in a lot of ways, the energy that we put into doing that in so many ways is really impacting. It's something toxic, particularly in our relationship with Jesus. So if we want to live a life of faith where we are different from the prevailing culture, I really believe that what we are going to talk about establishes one of the foundational, fundamental differences of the people who who love Jesus and are seeking to communicate that love to a world that needs to hear it and those who don't. I think it's a key discipleship issue that we are going to tackle tonight. And because it's so key, we should pray. Lord, help us out with this. Um, May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Be our teacher uh, that we might learn more about who you are and how we are to live in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I find the text that we are coming to tonight, as, I've, as you can probably guess, to be one of the most convicting uh, in, all of, in all of Scripture. It's, we go to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's, important, it's an important passage that gives us insight into what the speech and subsequent action of people who follow Jesus is to look like. And it's actually pretty simple. Hear these words from Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33 says this, again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, okay, nothing new here, 
do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay, let's break this down a little bit. First off, what is an oath? An oath is a declaration or a solemn promise in which one invokes God as a witness. It's a manner of guaranteeing a promise that typically comes with specific sanctions. Now, as this passage insinuates, it was common practice for ancient Israelites to make these types of oaths where they make a promise in the name of the Lord to back it up. It would be common for them to make a promise and then use a phrase such as, may God deal with me, or as the Lord lives, and then they would follow it with a consequence. May God deal with me if you should die in this battle. So this was something very common in Old Testament times, making an oath, making a promise and invoking the name of the Lord. But if you caught what Jesus is doing here, and we're in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, don't do this. Don't enter into this type of oath if you can help it. Why? Why would Jesus say this? Because even then, people weren't particularly good at actually doing whatever it is they were making an oath or promising to do. And it seems that the net result was to cheapen both the name of the God that you were invoking when you would do that and make yourself look like an idiot. (laughs) But at least you were making yourself look like an idiot in the name of the Lord. What am I talking about here? Because I think we do this all the time. Oh, oh, dude, I swear, I swear I'm gonna be there. And then you don't show up. Hey, the Hawks are going to win the Super Bowl, I swear to God, okay? You know what I'm talking about. Where we, where we swear in the name of God, we make these sweeping promises, but at this point, we do it as kind of an add-on. There's really no power in that phrase, is there? It's something that we've cheapened, and often when we are making a statement like that, it, it's on a statement that in the big picture, is rather inconsequential. When I was in college, as you've heard me talk about, I lived in a fraternity. And one of the things that I discovered in this fraternity, uh, one day where there was at lunch where there was a, a table of guys sitting around it and there, you know, some, one of these quiet conversations. And one of the things that, that I had discovered, it was, a, it was a group of guys that were actually engineers. And they had, they had established for guys in the house kind of this, this coefficient that, that with particular guys in the house, anytime they would use figures, they would multiply by a particular coefficient to really get at the truth of what they were saying. So you'd have some guy that'd be like, oh, you guys, it was so awesome up there skiing today. It was like, it was the best day ever. There was like two feet of new powder. It was pretty sweet and too bad you couldn't be there, okay? Well, when they're saying two feet 
that, that those guys are going, okay, the coefficient for him is, is times 0.25. So really, it was about six inches of powder. It was a good day to be sure, but it really wasn't that great. Okay, so I remember hearing about this coefficient, and I remember going up to them saying, okay, what's mine? Okay, do I have a coefficient? Now, this probably isn't a huge surprise to you. Those uh, that are in my position, pastors, we are kind of known for, um, for our hyperbole, if not our overuse of hyperbole. So it probably isn't shocking to you that these guys then looked at me and said, well, church, dude, you're about a 0.5. So a 0.5 on most things. You know, there's some things that we trust you on. We trust you. Uh, you know, to tell us the truth, you know, for example, uh, about your grades, you know, uh, but, you know, we're going we're gonna to multiply by 0.5 when it comes to things like you talking about your batting average in IMA softball or about the number of people that were at last night's party, okay? <laughs> about, about half. And honestly, I remember that was, that was actually a very convicting conversation for me to learn that there were a group of guys who I really liked, who I really respected, that had come to a place where every time I spoke, they were measuring my words going, hmm, probably not. It's pretty convicting. And since then, I can honestly tell you that I have been a lot more thoughtful about my use of superlatives. I try not to overuse words like best or the, the most or ever, whatever, whatever it may be, okay? I try to be more thoughtful about that. I still exaggerate, especially up here, to be sure, okay? It makes for a much better story to keep you guys interested. But especially if we're talking one-on-one, I'm going to be very deliberate about how I'm using those words based on that conversation that I had in my fraternity where I learned that people didn't take me at face value. Now, what are we getting at in this teaching here where Jesus is saying, don't swear an oath, don't do this? Part of what he wants to do is protect our speech. When we talk to each other, he's trying to give us these parameters that say, I want you guys to be able to talk to each other and to be able to trust each other to be able to take each other at face value and not be wondering, what does he really mean by that? He wants those who are following him and speaking in the name of the Lord to simply tell the truth. To have language that is direct, that's not over-spiritualized, that lands for people that you can trust it. Now, at the very end of the passage that we read, our Lord throws us a bone here and gives us some very practical advice. Very practical. When he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I want us to take this teaching at face value for just a minute. Go with me on this. Let's consider consider an Evite. Okay, do you guys know what Evites are? Do you guys still use Evites? Anybody, okay, yeah, I'm getting some head nods. Okay, an Evite, let me direct you to the bottom of this screen, okay? If we take Jesus at face value here, the yes button right there, that's good. 
the no button, also good. I know that it doesn't always feel like no is a good thing. No is a good thing. And then there's this maybe button. That is evil. Okay? When you hit that button, you are participating in evil. Okay, let's take it to another way. Facebook, Facebook groups, right? Right-hand side of the screen. Okay, you have join, which is Facebook talk for yes. You have decline, which is Facebook talk for no. Those are both good things. And then you have maybe. That is from the evil one, people. I use these examples of invitations because I think it is an important real-world example for us, for you. You have a lot of opportunities professionally, academically, socially that compete for your time. And too often, our culture has taught you to keep your options open the best that you can. And what a blessing. Thank God for the options that we do have. I don't want to demonize options but I do want to call out the energy we put into keeping those options open. In a conversation that I had uh, with some of your peers the other day, I was totally struck when one of them said that part of the, the goal, we were still having that conversation about competition. They said the goal to look important and significant in our culture, at least with student culture, is to be really, really busy, but not stressed out. And one of the ways that you keep from being stressed out is to not really be committed to anything, and thus the maybe button comes into play. Well, this is something that if it's beneficial for me, mm, I'll show up. But if it's going to stress me out too much, if it's going to be really inconvenient for me, I'm not going to. Other examples that fall under that category of the maybe button are flat out seeing it but not responding at all, or saying yes, and then texting right before the event saying, nope, sorry, not going to be there. Even though you did give a bit of a courtesy to say no, I still think that that violates what Jesus is getting at. It's not maintaining the sanctity of the language, the speech that you're using, because the actions are not backing it up. I think that this is a problem that we have. And if I can be really real for you, with you guys for a moment, I think that, that this culture, or, or this, this, really your generation, struggles with this in a big-time manner. My recent experience in working with college-age individuals is that they spend a lot of time in the maybe category. You often say yes to being someplace or with someone until something better comes along. You will often join that Facebook group, but then when the moment comes, not show up and not actually do what the group is all about. Too often, and keep in mind, I work, the, the primary group of people I work with are people who are following Jesus, who would call themselves disciples, and their yes does not mean yes, and their no does not mean no. 
if we are going to follow Jesus, and if we're going to take a relationship with the living God seriously, I honestly believe that this is one of the key factors in how we will grow up as disciples. If we are willing to have our actions line up with our words, if we are willing to have our yes be yes and our no be no, this is a love issue, in my opinion. It shows how we value other people. It shows that we are thinking of others. It shows that we, we value having speech that is safe, that people can take us at face value and know what we are talking about. This is a huge issue for us. So what might we do? What might we do to pursue this? I wanna, I wanna hit a few, a few key things. The first is simply this. I'll say it like this. Evaluate your speech. Think about the past week. Is there something that you said yes to and then bailed from? Your core group? A group project? A party? A date? Was there something that you said yes to and then texted at the last minute? Nope, not gonna be there. Was there something that you did where you knew that you were gonna do that from the very start? I wanna encourage you to look back at the past week and be honest about yourself where there has been inconsistencies in what you said you would do and what you actually did. The second is this, eliminate maybe. Okay, this is gonna sound like an exaggeration, but I'm totally serious. What if you never hit maybe on an Evite or Facebook group again? What if you never did that again? For those of you, as we've talked about at the beginning of the quarter, that find yourself constantly tired and busy, busy and tired, what my hunch is that you need to practice saying no, not maybe, just say no. You're doing yourself and you're doing somebody else a favor. And for those of you that find yourself a little lonely, perhaps, perhaps you need to say yes a little bit more when people keep inviting you into things and you keep saying, no, I have to study. I have something else. Maybe it's time that you said yes. I'll let you evaluate where you're at, but, but eliminate maybe. Now, I have come to know that college students know themselves, and I know this too, know themselves to be very, very busy. And that's true. But I'm here to tell you that you will actually get busier after you graduate. I know that doesn't seem possible. But I'm here to tell you it's true. If you practice eliminating maybe right now, you are establishing a really good habit for after you graduate. Because I'm here to tell you it is only going to get harder. Okay, so evaluate what you've done, eliminate, may, eliminate maybe, and then simply this, follow through. Even when what you've committed to might be a little bit boring, it might even suck. No doubt it's going to be difficult at some point. In fact, that's precisely why we have to commit to things because there will inevitably be times when it just isn't all that cool or fun. 
You name what it might be. It might be that group project. It might be that thing in church. It might be that relationship. It might be your marriage. Follow through. You know, one of the best things about my job, and I think I can speak for the entire human staff when I say this, one of the best things about my job is getting to meet with you all. We love getting to hear your stories. We love getting to, to hear where you're at. We even love getting to hear the things that, that are, are, you know, maybe you're, you're in a tough spot. That's energizing for us to be able to come alongside you in those moments. But there's been a proliferation in the last year or two of, of setting up those, those wonderful moments where we think this is gonna be great. We're gonna get to hear more of somebody's story. We're gonna get to be in relationship with this people, these, these people, these students. And instead, we, we end up throwing this phrase around our office that we, that we say when we say big-timed. We say, oh, I got big-timed. And that's code for, I had an appointment with the student, but they bailed on me because there was something better that came up. There was something more important. There was something big time they had to do. <laughs> okay? In some ways, it has led to a bit of rejection fatigue. It's our great joy to be able to meet with you all. And so part of my challenge would be, prove me wrong on Make an appointment, follow through. Because just by showing up, I promise you, just by showing up, you're blessing whoever it is you made that appointment with. It doesn't have to be somebody on our staff. When you say, yeah, I'll be there, and you show up, you bless somebody just by showing up. I make a big deal about this tonight because I believe that this is one of the biggest hindrances to your discipleship journey and your ability to communicate the gospel to your friends. This is a love issue. When we are constantly bailing, non-committing, and changing on the fly, we are a slave to the tyranny of options and we minimize the relationships that we have with the people around us. In the passage that we looked at, Jesus is asking us not to make a bunch of oaths. That is not to have a bunch of times where we say, "Mm, this is a circumstance where I'm going to tell you the truth and this is not. No, what he's saying is Jesus is seeking to fulfill the law is saying your whole life is an oath. With your life, you say yes. It's not getting into a bunch of of different situations where where you determine when you will. No. Be consistent in saying yes, simply, and then deliver, or no, and don't. Because when you start establishing a consistency in doing that, what are you doing? You begin to communicate about a God that is not on the fence about you. Is that the God that you have gotten to know? Is that the God you want to get to know? This is not a God that says, maybe. Maybe I'll rescue you if you do the right things. Maybe I'll show up when you get this or that done. Friends, the good news is that God has said a big, fat yes in Jesus Christ. 
And when we are consistent in our speech and backing it up with action, whether you like this or not, you are communicating about who God is. You have the opportunity to communicate about the steadfastness of a God that has said yes to you and done so decisively in Jesus. So can we be people that establish a consistency in our words and our actions? Evaluate where you might need to say no for the purposes of just honoring the people who may have invited you into something and you just know that you can't deliver wholeheartedly. Let's communicate that we want to honor those people around us and grow up in love by simply letting our yes be yes and our no be no, and in so doing, communicating about the consistency of a God that never approaches us with maybe. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are so good to us. Help us to establish discipline here. Help us to be people of our word. Lord, by your spirit, would you, would you help us discern when we need to say no? If we're too busy and too tired. And Lord, would you also show us those opportunities that we need to say yes to? Lord, would we be a community where our our we are safe to talk because we know what each other means. Uh, when we say yes, people know we mean it. Uh, so Lord, help us out in being those type of people, your disciples who are growing up in love. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.